हेलो एवरीवन एंड वेलकम टू अवंतिका डिजाइनरिंग सीरीज और एडीएस एस वी लाइक टू कॉल इट एवरी वीक ऑन वेडनेसडे वी फीचर डिजाइन एंड टेक्नोलॉजी लीडर्स हु शेयर द प्रोफेशनल जर्नी दर थॉट्स ऑन द डोमेन ऑफ वर्क एंड डिजाइनरिंग वेयर द वर्ल्ड ऑफ डिजाइन एंड इंजीनियरिंग मीट मेक श्योर यू फॉलोअर्स ऑन सोशल मीडिया इंस्टाग्राम लिंकड इन फेसबुक एंड ट्विटर एंड विद दैट लेट्स कंटिन्यू विद योर शो As organizations plan and undergo digital transformations there is one fundamental component every company needs to remain relevant to a relentless focus on an empathetic customer experience executed by connected technologies and networked infrastructure organizations on the leading edge of digital transformation combine direct and contextual customer data with analytics and business intelligence technologies to create empathy at scale it includes a deep understanding of the customer anticipating their expectations desires needs and actions and responding to those needs and expectation in a caring and connected way and that's why in this episode we interact with sovik banerjee chief technical officer at tata digital With over two decades of building internet platforms, internet businesses, and internet technologies across four continents, he has built from scratch India's two most loved digital platforms, Reliance Jio and Tata Click. And that's why, on our journey of discovering designering, we talk to him about empathy in digital era. Hello Sovik welcome to Avantika Designering Series podcast thank you so much for joining us on our show today hey thank you thank you rohit uh, thanks for having me and uh, good to speak on technology and interact with someone like you on a good sunday afternoon so very lovely to be here super so sovik uh, let's start with an ice breaker i read this on your website that while it is important to use digital to improve your current business model and customer experience it is also important to have a long term vision of what could really disrupt you the question that i have is how can leaders develop this skill set um right it's a it's a it's a very it's a very puritan thought but um my background when i speak a little bit will tell you why i see this anything you do in life primarily has to do with the mental state and the attitude in that mental state you are in example um when someone like um when someone like um i would imagine someone like steve wozniak and steve jobs when they started doing a hardware business the intent was not to disrupt the intent was to build something beautiful when someone like uh, jeff wilco and jeff bezos started trying to sell books online forming a company called kadabra in 1995 they didn't want to disrupt as leaders they just wanted to build something new either solving a problem or a gap organically when they actually get into a matured state of their business or a model or a platform 
or an entity, they realize that there is an opportunity to disrupt in scale, whether they disrupt in in B2C or B2B or whether internally disrupt in a set of processes. It never happens from day one. That's why I'm, I always say that, you know, the intent to disrupt comes later. The ability to do something new comes much before. Organically, that's step two, where your brain starts figuring out that this is something real I'm seeing and you organically figure out a way to disrupt it. That's what uh, kind of the thought process behind that line was. It Super. So, Savik, moving from there to your journey and something that I really find interesting is from being a professional cricketer who represented Bengal in the Ranji Trophy to being a techie and leading Tata Digital today. How did this transition take place? Um, so I am, I always say I'm an accidental technologist. Primary, primary goal in life was to play sports. I ended up playing professional sports in the means of cricket back in Calcutta, played for under 16, the 19s, played for the University of Calcutta, was the skipper of under 19. Then of course, in Calcutta, the club cricket was very strong. And uh, as a result, with great performances over the years, I got picked up and I and I replaced one of the India test stars, Subroto Banerjee at that point in time, and then played a few games, then got dropped, then got picked up again in the Ranji Trophy. But in the meantime, I had started going to England in, 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 in those days, there was no IPL or there was not much wealth or money in cricket. Um, and then you, the only means to do was play professional sports in the monsoon season in England. And, and that organically, a lot of Indian cricketers across all states used to go. And I started going there from 1993-94. What I ended up doing was I ended up getting exposed to the engineering manufacturing world because cricket club cricket in England is played by working professionals who also plays. They actually balance it beautifully. Unlike in India, when you try and get a sports quota job after a certain stage in your life, over there, professional sportsmen also have a professional life in other spheres. So that got, I got exposed to that. Then I used to come back to India. And then uh, after a good stint uh, where I realized that, you know, my father was a professor, mother was a, mother was also a cricketer, calm entrepreneur. I realized, and they said that, you know, you, will you be able to play for your country ever? I said, I don't think so. Um, and that realization came in. I see, they said, you've already done very well. You've played for your country under 19. You're playing for Bengal with the likes of Arun Lal and Savakarim and Saurav Ganguly. And we are all newest bunch of youngsters then, Deep, Deep Das Gupta, Ron Gavaskar, myself. And then I decided this is the path if I take, I might not be good enough to play for the country. What's the backup option? I was always a pretty decent student. Um, and uh, my father being an academician said, why don't you pursue? Then went back to England. Finished my, um, finished my studies, uh, actually finished two back-to-back doctorates, to be honest. And, and then my work permit was a cricketing work permit. I was the second human being in England to get a migrated work permit from a cricketing work permit to a IT work permit. The first individual was that great squash player, Zansher Khan from Pakistan. So I was the second guy who got a professional work permit from sports. And then started, start, life started, was an entrepreneur in the early days. And that's how I did play prof- another professional sports for many years, which is rugby. 
I played second in Hertfordshire Juniors for a few years. Then I busted my knees and I still and I um, and then I then I stuck to normal recreational cricket, which I still play, by the way. Um, but that's how that's been the journey, man. Uh, so an accidental technologist, the technologist journey comes after that. Wow, interesting. How how did this transition take place? I mean, from being a sports player to uh, being, you know, the Saurav Ganguly of technology world. <laughs> how has this happened? I think I think I was very, I, I love maths. I always tried to solve maths. I did a research doctorate based on maths um, in neural networks and natural language processing back in the day. And um, that led to um, my excitement. And immediately after that, I started my internet business which was selling, uh, I was selling um, mini LPs and mini discs online when Napster was evangelizing downloads. It was the first e-commerce music marketplace to sell mini discs, LPs, cassettes. And um, that led to my second PhD, which was in physical robotics. I wanted to, I wanted to disrupt the e-com space doing very many things too far ahead, just after the dot-com bubble. Um, but I stuck to, I stuck to it. Um, and, uh, that fascinated me, uh, mathematics, uh, ANN, which is artificial neural networks, physical robotics and decision tree based modeling, um, motor building of automobile machine building robots. And I was in that mind space, my friends, my peers, my director of studies, all in Northeast of England, in Newcastle, Durham, Sunderland, uh, Middlesbrough. Yorkshire, that whole belt is a very rich, potent belt of artificial intelligence from 1990s. Uh, my director of studies, which I found one of my mentors was Professor John McIntyre. Um, then I worked very closely with uh, Dan Wagner, who is considered the entrepreneurial e-commerce inventor of the world. Um, I got an opportunity to work with um, William Red Whitaker, who is the inventor of Google. Um, Google self-driving cars um, and these are my influences. So, you know, I'm always an individual who always say that, you know, you are what your ecosystem builds you, your people, your families, your value system, your, your mentors, your teachers, your friends, your colleagues. And in that space, in late 90s, beginning of 2000s, I was in that space. As a result, I could do two back-to-back research doctorates. And that fascinated me, my entrepreneurial career. I did an e-commerce startup without any investment of an angel or anyone in Northeast of England. And I exited successfully to Music Stack, which is one of the largest marketing, well, I would say the largest music platform in the world today. It's considered equivalent to eBay of music. So, so if you're around that ecosystem, Cricket was there. The learnings of cricket were there. Like, you know, you never give up. Uh, you pick up every day. Every day is a new thing. And cricket teaches you that. Uh, that, you know, you get a zero today. You might get a hundred. IPL is showing you. Shikhar Dhawan got a hundred and then got two back-to-back zeros. Um, and then again, he's probably scored. So cricket teaches you that today, Bumrah was very bad in starting of this year's IPL. And today he's leading the top of the wicket table. So Every day, cricket teaches you to pick up everything and don't get demoralized. Tomorrow is a new day. I applied those attributes to technology. And when it came to running internet businesses, that has become such a true thing. 
internet businesses change hour in hour out and i became fascinated by technology um so that's how it kind of transgressed i would say it organically transgressed it was not planned super that's really really exciting in terms of how you uh, you know you're connecting the uh, dots so you know while in the world of technology and uh, you started uh, you know building things um, at geo at tata uh multiple interesting things how did this world of technology and the growth happened here professionally so i am a uk national actually i am a british national i uh, came back to india um i came back to india um when did i come back 2015 beginning i was the i had moved away from building accenture digital founding member of accenture digital um i had become the global cto for sap for sap's new age technology stack and um, i was summoned by the sap apac and the india leadership team to say that you know what um reliance industries has been with us for many many years they're planning to do something why don't you come down to mumbai so i was having these conversations i used to live near canary wharf um in london next to tower bridge and with my wife and my 3 4 year old son and i was saying that my wife is from mumbai and she jumped she said how long will you be in mumbai i said you know it looks like this is a decent program global program for sap i don't know what they want to do but apparently they need me and they need a large team of mine so she said let's go mumbai's parents are there i always come down to mumbai every year used to um and then from canary wharf to gansoli i came down as the leader of sap <laughs> and that was that was and, and mind you when you are when you are when you are like me who's like a organically a sports individual who was an academician who's a researcher a scientist builds large systems and platforms and then i had never worked in india i had left very late early 90s permanently and never ever worked in india but i fell in love with mumbai absolutely fell in love with this city this city is one of the best cities in the world and uh, i fell in love with the people of india's sap teams and the reliance geo teams the leadership of reliance geo and it goes to the goes to mda this modi pankaj pankaj pawar everyone welcomed me with open arms that you know and and my wife was i was expecting our second son she was five months pregnant and they appreciated that you know this guy has taken a plunge they knew i would go away um but they had, and they had not been able to crack the entire 4g and i had deployed 4g for vodafone um in europe and i had deployed telefonica 4g in south america on behalf of accenture and they knew about all of this apparently i got to know that later and uh, then started building reliance geo ago geo.com order to order to activation few million used to fail and now we are 400 million so we were kind of the david duval of godfather to reliance industries conciliary is the word i use and uh, the relationship with the geo team leadership team has till now stayed um they have done phenomenal i think they have created the backbone of india's uh, voice over ip and then immediately after landing in india after a month the tatas said uh you had built a ship from store marketplace for john lewis uh we are trying something innovative 
as what are you guys trying to do? They said, we are trying to build a brand-driven marketplace, but the inventory will be shipped from store. I said, okay. Uh, but the problem is we've got more 1,200 brands, all non-Tatas. Tatas is only a 4-5 SI, Chroma, Titan, and all of these guys. And then I said, yeah, let's give it a shot. So I was huddling between Gansoli and BKC and Bombay House and Maker's Maker's Chamber for the next two years trying to make these two go live. And literally these two went live back to back. And I was going back and the leadership of Tata Group said, do you really want to go back to wintry, monsoony, wet, depressive England? Or do you want to be in the heat, sweat of Mumbai? I said, you know, I don't like winter at all. I've had enough of the European winter. And I said, yeah, I might as well take the sweat and the heat and run it out over here. And and the city, it's primarily the city, the people of India. And I have literally not seen my country for two and a half decades. And what I took a, basically, I would say a tukka or a gamble was, if I be a part of the growth story of India in building these large platforms, and I've built about four of them, which is, accessed by hundreds and millions of people. I might have something in the years to come because my resume never had the scale. You can build a Best Buy or a Tesco or a Nordstrom or a Telefonica, but to build something which will be used by millions of people is something which I was very greedy about. And being an internet um, technologist and e-commerce technologist, that greed is always there. So I think that greed is met, right? To be honest, and that's how that's how I landed up in India and doing what I'm doing. Super. I have a personal question here. Ah, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And yeah. and the question is, in spite of doing all of these things in your career, how is it that you are as humble as what you are? Arey, arey, this is a very odd question. <laughs> I'll try to answer. Um, I have a lot of self-pride. This comes from being a cricketer. If if you've got out badly or if you haven't bowled well, that I was always an all-rounder. Um, it hits your self-pride and there's healthy competition in your headspace with your own self. That Sports is you're always trying to beat your own self. It's not, uh, it's not Google Pay, Phone Pay war. It's not Best Buy, Home Depot, Amazon war. It's primarily sports teaching you to beat your own self. Humility is, I think, subjective. Um, I generally, are, being a team man, a sports, a team sports guy, I generally always believe in organization first, team second, self last. Um, my father's value system again, uh, being a teacher. Um, I think that came naturally, but when I came to Tata Group, I realized, yeah, this group is a 150-year-old group, 700-plus customers, two-thirds of the internet runs on telecoms, one TCS is gone so high, but they are not shouting out of the rooftop. What is it? Then I started reading about GRD. Then I started reading about R&T. Of course, I had the privilege to meet the great man. And I realized that the entire Tata ethos is about what you do for others. Hence, 60% of our profit goes to now all our charitable. How Which conglomerate in the world gives 60% of your profit away for the last 100 years? You know, when you work in such an ecosystem with my background, uh, I don't think humility is a very strong word. I think the, it makes you humble to feel that, you know, 
amidst this behemoth of what we are doing, uh, we are literally none. Our 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 existential value is actually zero. So get on with your normal stuff which you are good at, and and uh, be humble and be nice to people, which makes a big difference. It doesn't take a lot of money to be nice to people and help and help people out in whatever sphere. I put it that way. Humility is a very strong word. Yeah, people aspire to become humble. They are wannabes. Um, maybe I will take it as a compliment. The Salt to Software conglomerate Tata Sons launched Tata Digital to incubate a new age digital business. The company will create several digital platforms for addressing new business opportunities and use digital technologies to meet the needs of a fast evolving generation of consumers who increasingly demand a unique blend of online and offline engagements. <laughs> so absolutely it is it is an absolute uh, compliment to you Sobek uh, it's so exciting to hear you in fact another interesting question Sobek is you know having played sports for such a long time and um, i mean obviously there are skill sets and thought processes that you build uh, on the pitch on the ground and from there to actually uh, creating the uh, a spirit a culture in the organization how has the thought process between the pitch to the office you've been able to use some of these principles to actually inspire build uh, amazing teams uh, at at your workplace this i take a lot of pride wherever i've worked i've built great teams and uh, for the last 20 years everybody who i've worked with outside facebook keeps in touch with me this i take a lot of pride hundreds and hundreds of ceos hundreds of cios hundreds of technologists programmers project managers qa guys developers um, all of them keep in touch with me, at least as who I was very close to when building them and the teams. Um, Rohit, you might have noticed I don't have an MBA, um, but I don't treat it as a deficiency in my resume. I treat it, I treat cricket as my Harvard Business School and Yale and ISB and IM all together. I have learned conflict management. Negotiation management, PNL building, cost center building, people building, value creation within people, individual contributors within teams, potential to make them leaders and empower them, men and women both. And I've always had great diversity. The attributes from cricket are very, very common. You play a team sport with an objective to win. But if you lose, you take it up on the chin and do it again. Try it again. That comes in today's enterprise business as a mandatory attribute when you're building the culture within the team, the cultural pillars within the team. When you're building leaders, you don't need to tell them what to do. Or else, what's the point of hiring leaders? And if you have a growth path for them, you guide them, you maybe shadow them, you don't review them every day, every week, because they are leaders. They come from 15, 20, 25 years background. They know their job. 
they know they need to know the context and the objective of the pnl and how we get to profitability or growth quarter by quarter year in year they need to understand the context they need to be not told that how to run a pnl in sales marketing technology infrastructure they already are subject matter experts so you don't meddle with subject matter experts you become their knowledge pool those are my type style of leadership that is very much related to cricket you can't you can't tell rohit sharma how to bat ravi shastri can only tell rohit sharma if you're chasing 350 rohit this is the this is the chase you decide how you want to get to the top first 10 overs and the next 10 overs then rohit sharma does rohit be is rohit sharma and then virat kohli is virat kohli and then ajinkya rahane is ajinkya rahane so that's very very key and the last piece which i follow like a mantra is you continuously listen you continuously take feedback at the ground level to the top level to the customers to your to your b2b customers to your business stakeholders to your youngest of executives to your interns what they are saying what they are feeling unless and until you take feedback on a, and that at a very very micro level and you work upon creating a pattern from that feedback either it's okay either it's not okay either we are doing well either my employee engagement score is dipping because of this so continuous feedback from 360 from all forms and means of people is very critical to uh, leadership traits and exactly that's what you do in team meetings in sports um, so yeah those are those are the kind of mapping of usage of attributes from sports which is uh, which i practice interesting in fact savik you've been responsible for disruptive innovation ideas in technology and omni channel uh, commerce uh, it has also earned you the distinction and the title of being one of the only six people of indian origin in the world to have worked on all global omni channel platforms how has this experience shaped you as an individual and your thought process well, firstly that ranking i think is very stupid there's many many much more uh, achievers than me i maybe i am for the um, for in indian origin uh, having worked with many global continents i probably was the first of the top 10 of indian origin who actually have built 5 700 odd e-commerce internet businesses um but i think that those rankings are all media based they don't actually believe them i think uh, there's about another 100 great guys maybe 500 great guys who are doing amazing work see omni channel definition has also evolved earlier multi channel was the catchphrase what they meant was uh, a desktop.com and a customer services uh, team and you have a store that was the commencement of multi channel when they brought in mobile across the world then you had another channel and then when you started doing ship from store and click and collect then omni channel started becoming a regular catchphrase i think omni channel is prevalent across the world right now every dot com uh, retailer or b2b or an fmcg or in healthcare um they have stores or they are connected to the local msmes the way i look at it is these platforms what i have learned from building and implementing these great platforms is the world was dependent on enterprise stack the world of you know the ibms and the sps and the oracles of the world and these omni channel implementations were standard products which is to get implemented for a spar in europe to a elcorti engle in south america to a 
Carrefour in France to a shopper stop in India to a um, Best Buy in US. So the way it has changed um, and what we could see in terms of changing in the businesses, culture of people is primarily it was technology first. Because what e-commerce did was it created a new revenue funnel for the enterprise businesses. And I'm keeping open source and enterprise debate aside. Um, what it taught the businesses who are the it was always between a business versus IT. When internet platforming, omnichannel commerce started to happen, the culture of businesses started to change. People realized there is a beautiful marriage. You can't run a category PNL unless and until you know how search works, or unless you know how a buy box logic works. And in the tech space, they realized that I can't build a commerce platform and connect it to the store if the category guys are not warming up. So that beautiful marriage started happening globally around 2000, just after the recession, where people realized that stores independently, the brick and mortars independently can't operate. E-commerce has to influence uh, the channel and stores has to be a significant part of it. And that's how the cultures changed. That's, that's how technology landscapes changed. That's how people thought processes changed. Now you hear things like, you know, I need a store of the future. You need, example, Farfetch. I need to build uh, an endless aisle. Uh, what is an endless aisle? It's nothing. It's just the kiosk on the store. It's a very simple innovation, but a global phenomenon. Um, you know, the AR way to do Pokemon Go, Pokemon Go commerce is chase the coupon and run with it and do the mystery shopper and find the mystery shopper and your favorite product you were looking for. So these beautiful things started happening and primarily to summarize business and IT got married. Super. In fact, uh, uh, you know, uh, while talking about your experience and things that you've done largely in digital uh, transformation, uh, you know, an element that I wish to discuss with you is what drives digital transformation? In fact, an essential element of it is, of course, technology, but often it is more about shedding outdated processes and legacy technology than it is about adopting new technology. So, so what drives digital transformation according to you? I'll keep it very short in this answer. Mindset and attitude from the CEO to the plant line worker or from the CEO to the programmer. It's as simple as that. And, and how do you make that happen? All successful transformations have had the biggest KRA as change management. If change management it is not about technology, it is not about putting processes, old processes. It is about implementing a futurism of change management, which includes training, which includes uh, legacy, junk to be thrown away, includes hard decision making, it includes extreme amount of risks to be taken. And it includes the two most important things, excitement and attitude for a common cause. Um, people who are at the CXO level who take a decision that we will transform, it doesn't bottle down or boil down to the N minus 10 level, always have failed. And they're still, their transformations are taking years and years and years, and they're still transforming and they will never transform. Um, those who have taken a target, a hard target, 18 months, and we will be completely in a new world of workable or 24 months, if it's a large enterprise, 
all successful large enterprises have transformed in two years. If they have not been able to do between 24 months, 18 to 36 months, worst case, unless and until it's a conglomerate or a capability like the size of a Johnson & Johnson who have transformed themselves, or a P&G or a GSK, the FMCG industry are the champion in this case, in transformation. It's not happening. There's something wrong somewhere. They will do pocket-sized, fragmented pieces of transformation, which will die its own death again in the next few years. Super. So while while you speak about this transition, in fact, uh, you know, my, my, my next question is towards that. Technology has the power to do many things and changing the world is definitely one of them. And we are privileged to be living in time where science and technology can assist us and can make our lives uh, easier. The technology we are already exposed to and accustomed to has paved the way for us to innovate further. The question that I have for you here, Sovik, is what upcoming technologies certainly have that potential to change our lives even more? And can you share some example? See, I thoroughly believe in a motto of my life because I always have an accidental technology. Technology is of junk if it's not impacting a way of life or not impacting millions and millions of people. It is not about the privileged 1 billion. It's about 7.6 billion. If it's not impacting them, it's it's about that little girl in Syria whose house is war-torn and through the beauty and the gracefulness of the world of WWW, she can run her household learning how to make fire. An 11-year-old girl, parents gone away. It's that person in living in Egypt trying to trying to figure out where the next excavation is and using technology, optical fiber, connectivity to actually put a geofence around and continuously excavating is to find the treasures 10,000 years back which was lost. That's the impact of technology. If that individual in the in the COVID impacted world and can do a COVID screening with the paranoia of his old parents, I can't take them to the hospital because it's full of germs, can get remote consultation and remote medicine in the nth corner of the country. Thanks to the usage of a mobile phone through video consultation, that's what technology is all about. Technology is not about showcasing how neural network powered personalization engines across the world is helping you sell the next G-Shock watch or remarketing the and kind of cheating the boosting algorithms of Facebook and retargeting the same guy with an iPhone 12. That's not technology. Consumerism can't be technology's impact to the world. It's got far beyond impact, which we are seeing. In today's day and age, when some of our research were I've been privileged to involve them. I can invent the water molecule in a water scarcity planet of 2050 and I can replicate water. Technology is all about that little change of building the tangible user interface where I'm behaving like a Magneto and I'm able to move objects, which is tangible user interface. Think of that technology if in Indonesia was available and we could have taken the kids out of those caves. Uh, that is technology's impact. So brain computing interface, where I can basically today ask a 
individual who is at a vegetable state, whether he wants to have rice or chapati, and I get a tick on my atomic level graph monitor, uh, yes, that's PCI. That's technology's impact, what you will see. Tangible user interfaces, where you can move matter without touching it, that's what you are going to see. Replicating molecularism of water particles in the biggest of areas where water is scarce or the salinization, improving salinization of a country like India where it's covered by water but we have water scarcity. That's the impact of technology you will see. Is it going to happen in 2021? No. Is it going to happen by 2030? Of course, a lot of it. Is it going to be a planet where technology will influence the dearth and scarcity of means? Absolutely by 2030. Did you know Tata Group is the only Indian brand to feature in the top 100 of the Brand Finance Global 500 2020, the ranking of the world's 500 most valuable brands? So, Sobek, that's a that's a very deep thought process. And in fact, moving from there to another interesting world that intersects there, which is the world of design. Now, historically, there has been a divide between design and technology. Designers have been mixing technology and design for a while now, and it's only becoming more common as we move forward. Our society regularly makes improvements in technology that we use daily. Uh, for example, cars can drive themselves, our homes are connected through Wi-Fi technology, and, and, and there are so many more examples. The question that I have is what practical advice would you give to practitioners around building an environment for collaboration between the world of design and technology? I love this question. And I was waiting when you will start discussing design. I have three ways to look at it. I've worked with the greatest of designers product designers, UI, UX designers. One of my dearest friends is Thomas Peterson, um, who's one of, the, one of the greatest designers the world has ever seen. The challenge with the designers of 20 years back and today is the designers are as much product inventors as much as the product inventors themselves. Today, the opportunity of design lies everywhere. In, in yesteryears, the physical design in the form of a car or in the form of consumer electronics used to wow consumers or in the form of an interior decor of a house or an office used to wow. But today the design elements of a little small headphone piece to a smart remote, to a smart TV, to a smart car, to a smart machine, to a smart laptop, to smart tablets, everywhere you have the or entire IoT gadgets, entire voice gadgets, um, there's a whole white paper on the Apple on the Apple Voice Assistant. If you notice, what is the reason for the patterns of design it is used and why? The sound engineering, there is reverberation involved. So ultimately, it has to wow the customer. Design is as important as the product. You can't have the bestest innovation in engineering and a very drab looking product. If the product is good, the customer still has tolerance to use it. If the product is excellent in usage, in look, in navigation, in tangibility, in the touch and feel part of it, 
in the look and feel part of it, the customers give you tolerance. But if the product is bad in the aesthetic sense, in the tangibility part of it, then however good the product is, it doesn't get an opportunity. So design goes hand in hand in product innovation as of today. Um, one of my favorite product innovation, uh, if you ask me, is ideally the beauty of how the first USB uh, device and today's little USB devices are. The extremeness of that is how uh, Tesla and how it can be compared to a high-end Audi or a high-end BMW or a high-end Mercedes-Benz. You look at the design quality of Tesla, Tesla is beating them on just design quality. Engineering efficiency, they're not even talking about. Even if you look at them, the world of smart TVs and voice assistants and the smart kitchen appliances and smart watches and to the traffic lights or the out of homes digital signatures or signs or signages. The way the world is designing and making that interactivity happen, powered by that product's you know, enormous prowess of engineering. Who do I who do I say which actually wins the day? It, they can't live without each other. A great product has to have the gracefulness of look and feel, the beauty of aesthetics, and the it's like a it's like music, right? You can't create music without having great lyrics. So lyrics play the part of music, and the arrangement is your engineering. Super. And that brings me to one of the important questions, a philosophy topic uh, on which we work on, which is called as designering. So we believe that the world of design and technology intersect at a crossroad, and and that will be called as designering, uh, a philosophy that we follow to train students at Avantika University, and and we operate on. As one of the top technologists, do you see these lines blurring? and people are expected to have skills and understanding of both these domains. What do you think about this philosophy? I think the philosophy is perfect. This philosophy is a very, this philosophy goes back to not in today's day and age, it actually goes back to the Mayan era, the Egyptian era. Uh, without the prowess of science and technology, without, without the design aesthetics and quality, engineering didn't succeed. Um, it got lost, this philosophy in the world of innovation and invention in the last 400 years. It's glad it's come back uh, post-1980s. I see a renaissance period right now happening where design, design engineering is what the world you use is the way forward. And kids of today should know how both worlds work, but they should specialize on one. They should be aware and exposed to the other part, very much so. But it, it's, it's like you'll have to be a full-stack guy to know everything, but a handful of them become one. Because appetite also is very important for everyone. Not everybody would want to do this. Um, that's why you don't get all-rounders everywhere. All-rounders are a niche. Um, but if you do get, they will drive They will drive the next uh, generation of innovation. But it's good to have two parts and good to have two kinds of people. As long as both the kinds of people are aware, exposed, and kind of semi-hands-on about uh, other verticals thought process thought process is more important rather than the 
execution part of it. Super. Usually, Savik, this is a question where we end our podcast, but there's one important question that I have for you. And I think this is is something that I wish to know from you. Over the two decades of professional work experience, what are some of the valuable things that you've learned that you would like to share with all our listeners and the aspiring techies or designers out there? What are some of those valuable things that you want to leave, uh, you, 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 you want them to learn? Don't be good at your job. Try to be excellent, brilliant to the nth degree in your job you're doing and be obsessed about what you're doing and love it. If you don't, then you will have a lot more issues. If you're not doing and learning something, do something else. Second thing, don't try to emulate, create your own existence. That doesn't mean you become an arrogant individual. When I say create your own existence, I say either you become a subject matter expert or a contributor of a specific area. If you want to do the factory work, do it, but at least be strong in one area of your choice and happiness which you are championing. Third part is, in this today's day and age, in this connected era, try and switch off at times. Try and do some thinking and try and do some reading because today is what what I'm trying to say is, when you're too much engrossed in audiovisual content, it's someone else's creativity which you're downloading in your head. Allow your creativity to be thought through. Visualize your own, own creations. Visualize your own work. Visualize your own obsession. Visualize your own models, what you're wanting to build or what you're wanting to um, innovate or, or invent. And continuously do continuously keep encouraging yourself to learn and become a knowledge bank. See, education and knowledge, there are two differentiations. Knowledge is till the last breath of your life. Education does come in in professional world as well, but they come in in chunks. You have to become a knowledge bank to become a thinker. And once you have a thinking thought process and your head, and use the right-hand side of your brain and your left-hand side of your brain equally. Without thinking, nothing will come. Without anything coming, you wouldn't have the confidence to execute. And then, once all of this you have followed in your life, champion delivery excellence. Without delivery excellence, nothing gets built. Don't compromise on that. It is boring. It is extremely hard. But that due diligence is important and you have to love that part. Bob, this was excellent, extremely inspiring, and I'm sure that our listeners are going to love this. Thank you so much, Shavik, for doing this. Um, This has been a wonderful, wonderful experience of recording this show with you. Roy, thank you so much. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, Roy. Hey there, we hope you enjoyed our show. Do write to us on ads at the rate avantika.edu.in. We look forward to your opinions, feedbacks and suggestions of speakers you would like us to host on this show. Do tune in our channel next week on Wednesday for a new story on Hubhopper or wherever you get your podcast from. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn and Twitter.